Welcome to the Today Dreamer podcast, a project that's dedicated to helping you cultivate your own practice of presence. My name's Michael and I'm your host. I'm a meditation teacher, a musician, a mentor and a conversationalist that's currently based in Melbourne, Australia. And it's my hope that through listening to these conversations and through these kind of shared spaces that you'll be able to feel more empowered and more enabled in participating and contributing to the blossoming of the emergent world story. So hopefully you find some clarity through these chats, some inspiration and motivation. This is a part two of a two-part series. So if you haven't yet, I would like to kind of point you to part one to have a listen. And if you have, then you know, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Before we do get into it, I would like to invite you to pause with me for a moment as we have the space to just be through the practice of an inhalation and exhalation. Feel free to focus in on one object in the distance in your field of vision, or you may even like to close your eyes for a moment. And as slowly slowly and gracefully as you possibly can, there's a nice, gentle, open invitation to begin to inhale through the nostrils. Noticing any subtleties of your experience. You might like to just pause for a moment at the peak of your inhalation. Before gently releasing just as slowly and gracefully on the way out. an open invitation to continue this process as we lead into part two of this conversation you might like to continue all the way through (laughs) yeah let's get into it so i'm going to start with the contagiousness of the space and then can you continue on with that bit i'm going to respond specifically to the contagiousness of the space so so yes at times Space can be a wasteland and a traffic jam or a, a, a terrible shopping mall or whatever the thing, the, the wasteland is to you, you know, is a, tra- a traffic jam. Not many people dig traffic jams. Or the space can be a temple. When the space is a temple, it's contagious in a way that means that we are no longer in literal space. We are in sacred space. And by sacred space, it means we are in a state of being and we are in a process. And what the space is, is not just things that a rocket ship can take us to or things that we can donk, donk against our heads. The space is the music. The space is the, the feeling. The space is the suchness then, the, the rent, the, the, the gash, the wound between the world and spirit is healed. And the space is the totality. The cosmos in that moment is all that is the case. It's not just the stars and the planets and the matter and the spoons and the pen. It is all that is the case. 
And all that is the case is those, the harp strings of our, of our heart that are playing that divine music that is resonating with the stars that is causing us to turn on the spotlight Rumi in that moment and participate with the at every atom in our being that is swirling around like a whirling dervish and every planet that is swirling around like a whirling, the whirling dervish. And we too then just participate in that. And the space that we're in is not uh, an, a, 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 not Euclidean space. It's, it's, it's a much larger notion of space at that point. And that space then is not a, a destination on a map, right? Not a literal destination on a map. It is a process or an experience. And so that's, that's, the, that's the trick, right? It's like, how do I get there? If It's like, oh, how do I get to the shops? Easy, go down there and turn left. Got it, easy. How do I get to where Rumi was? Don't just say, well, you put one hand here, you put the other hand there, and you put red on your sandals, and then you turn. That, it's, not, it's not that easy, is it? <laughs> it's, it's not that easy. We can't do it in that way. We need different language that evokes for us. And we do need a contagious space. We do need set and setting. We do need the environment. We do need a community that resounds and carries us towards whirling, you know, rather than a community that constantly just takes us into a, a hellish realm of, you know, abuse and emptiness and, you know, like whatever it is, right? So all those things are really, really important and they're all emphasised, you know, the, the, the Buddha, the Sangha, and the Dharma. The Sangha is the, the, the community, right? The community is crucial. The space is crucial. The environment is crucial. But when we're talking about that, we have to deliteralize it. We have to deliteralize this space there. And in order to do that, then we come down into these basic ideas that we have ingested, the, the lens that you and I see the world through. We we'd like to say that we don't, but we actually do. We see the world through a dualistic lens. And we've got these glasses on and some part of our process is trying to take the glasses off. It's like, how do we take the glasses off so everything doesn't look like it's separated in this, in this way? Because I feel like there's a me and there's a you and there's a me in the world and there's a right and a wrong and an up and a down and a good and a bad. And I don't want that experience and I do want that. It really looks like that, if I'm honest. That's my experience. And if you're honest, that's your experience as well. And what we're talking about is there's moments when it doesn't look like that, when I've peek behind not just it doesn't look like that but it doesn't feel like that and those moments feel real in a different way they feel fulfilling in a different way there's a suchness and an undeniability to them that say i had i went there like i know i've been to the, a casino and i know i went to that space and in that space those goggles came off for a moment and i peered over the edge and I beheld, I partook in, I whirled in a universe that was not at war with itself, in a universe that was not divided, in a community, in a relationship, in a moment, in a moment in time that was timeless, that had no past and no future. All of those things, there was no up and down, left and right, us and them. And I've glimpsed that. And there's some people that seem to have done more than glimpses and their stories guide us like a finger towards the moon of saying come it's like this and you're like oh but i can't spin i oh, will forget about the spinning there it's like this it's like ah oh, but i've got bad knees forget about the knees it's like this hang yourself from the tree and play the flute. 
like, well, you know, like it doesn't, it doesn't like a good teacher will be, give you a, a different ways to like a, to point it out, different analogies, different fingers. It's that way. And then the person says, so I do this with my fingers. No, 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 no. Don't focus on my fingers. Look that way. Go move, move like, <laughs> move over that way more. <laughs> and it's a hard process to, to, in our literalized and some and 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 wounded culture and state that we find ourselves in fragmented in our tradition from our wisdom traditions huge interruptions between them an enormous amount that was not able to be passed down we're all not just wounded and fragmented but a bit kind of spiritually and soulfully autistic right that's modernity in my in my mind yeah it's a great very clever and very good in so many things but spiritually autistic i'm hi i'm jimmy willumba and i'm spiritually autistic pleased to meet you I'm, I'm not accusing other people of this right because of the history of of my peoples right the witch hunts the this the that the you know when i look at the old teachings when i go back and i look at you know i look at empedocles and uh, and pythagoras and all you know this before that split took place before even plato in the fifth century bc when i go back 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 when those splits weren't there, then the way in which they sing across the ages, not what they say, but the way in which they sing. Can you tell itself, me more about the way in which they sing? Tell me more about that. Because you, you seem the to way be, in which they sing. Yeah, yeah, you seem to have, you know, dived into these these chapters of, of history. And and I'm curious to see what you found yeah. in that in that specific opening. So um, so the, so let me say on that, the way in which they sing. The things that I am saying to you today have some value in them in, in a way that you can write them down and say, Jimmy said. There's some of that, there's some value. There's something else that's taking place in our conversation right now, which is the way in which I'm speaking to you. And the way in which I'm speaking to you is the place in which I'm speaking from. And the place in which I'm speaking from right now, there's a particular state. And I am not speaking to you like this, even though I speak to other people like that all the time. <sighs> right now, I'm speaking to you from a particular space within me, from a particular soulful stance, right? I'm speaking from that place. And as I speak from that place, then it resounds in you and the harp strings, the sympathy, the, the, the harmony, resounds and you start to automatically whirl with me and we whirl and both of us then and it feels somewhat hypnotic even and both of us start to change the space the feeling that we have not because of what i'm saying but because of the way in which i am singing mm. the place the space from which i am speaking is contagious and you're feeling that I'm assuming in a way, in the same way that the space of the shopping mall will, you'll feel that and its contagiousness in a different way. That's what I'm saying. The people that's, that sing across the ages. And when I look back and I, and, and you look at the feeling of, and some people just sing at any point in history that you, you can tell they're like the roomies of the world, you know, that have, you, you, it's undeniable. Even in translation, you can feel, oh, that they're singing from a place right and so then how to learn from that how to drink from that 
is not to, to be like, okay, what exactly did Rumi say? And what were the 10 most important commandments that he gave spiritually? Wrong. Wrong, 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 wrong. <laughs> <laughs> While Rumi chants, just don't try and write anything down and just allow yourself to start to whirl. Allow yourself to be whirled around. And there's that whirling that takes place. And then a little part of you whilst I'm doing this, that's whirling you around and your understanding is standing still, but some other part of you is flowing. A little part just says, hang on a second. What was the point here? What was the point? A little part is just like, shit, I'm getting confused. The mind says that. It's like, yes, the whirling is a place where understanding stands still. This is a, uh, from, anyway, not my wisdom. Understanding stands still. And, um, and that's the process. That's the place that we're going to, the place where understanding stands still. That's the place where beholding takes place. And it's a, it's, a, it's a state of beholding, a beholding of the moon. And by moon, we're saying whatever you want to insert into that, God, soul, the cosmos, the mystery, truth. Yeah, uh, mystery keeps coming up for me as you're sharing this. Yes, absolutely. Understanding stands still because the larger thing of which we are a part, of which we yearn to participate in, of which we need to feel ourselves not as a cog in a wheel, but as a cell in a being, you know, as, as an atom inside Gaia, as a rotation inside a rotation inside a spiral inside a spiral, then the part of us that yearns for that, then it, uh, it, it's, it's larger what we're yearning for. So it's mysterious. In the same way, the liver is mysterious to a liver cell. And Jimmy, you know, I mean, the bacteria in my anus must, you know, having de debates at times. Like, do you believe in Jimmy? He's like, ah, <laughs> I've been from one end of this asshole to another. I've never seen anything remotely like this Jimmy that you keep talking about. How could a cell in my asshole know about and understand Jimmy? And, you know, like at some level, there's some, there's something, there is something deeply mysterious about it. But a cell in Jimmy's arsehole can participate in Jimmy and in the mystery of Jimmy and in the oneness of Jimmy in particular moments. And, and, and so can we. We can participate in that. We can participate in that great spiraling. You know, this is, this is, what, this is what our wisdom traditions tell us in a thousand different voices as far as I understand, have understood them, as far as I have drunk from. Not that this is my constant state or I'm some sort of guru or enlightened person. I am not. <laughs> anyone that doubts it, just ask anyone that knows me. <laughs> but, um, but yes, you understand what I'm saying, right? Like this, we're yearning. The, the mystery is because we're a part of something larger. We're yearning for that and we can participate in it, but we can't understand it. And our culture has trained us to attempt to consume and understand and grasp everything but there are things that are beyond our grasp that can that that must be experienced there is being being is beyond our understanding one cannot understand being one must be <laughs> one must be it contains its own revelation inside there but it's still not understood it's experienced it's a gnosis right it's a gnosis and that's the challenge inside our spiritual traditions and our soulful traditions and our wisdom traditions is that they are pointing us towards experiences that cannot be understood 
experiences that cannot be perfectly articulated, experiences that cannot just be dogmatized, right? But they can be these experience the, 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 the experience of the mystery. These all of these experiences are caught, not taught, right? Caught, not taught. And so to continue on that contagion thing that you introduced, that's why to hang out with a guru or a shaman or a Rumi or, mm. you know, to go into a monastery is to catch it. It's like COVID. Go in there and catch it. You want to just open up and just and <laughs> breathe it in. It's just like... And, you know like all right all right yeah you know no condom bring it in and you want to catch you want to catch that and so when i go hunting you know traditions and i go to siberia or mongolia or nepal or somewhere then i'm i'm going to walk that land that that birthed that wisdom knowing that that wisdom is in the rocks and in the mountains and the rivers and that it's also in some special in the culture at large there's some part of the spirit of that wisdom tradition that's there in the supermarkets and in the little stalls on the side of the road it's there and i'm just trying to catch it yeah i, I want to learn some things i learned some stuff as well it's like what are the different ways that urine analysis is done and what are the bubbles made? cool i've learned some things but the larger piece is not i cannot be taught and must be caught so we go to the environment, we go to the place, we go to Rumi, we drink, we listen to Rumi so that he will dye the wool of our soul. Not so that we may understand Rumi, since Rumi is our man today, or my man today, the yeah. whirling dervish. Yeah, this thing around just kind of the contagion on the other side keeps coming through as well, though. And it's almost like it's not an external, from that space point of view that you were mentioning earlier, in terms of the space where the furniture sits in the room, it's not that kind of a, a thing. It's more of a kind of, yeah, it's, it's almost like this, um, this contagious space on the other side of the spectrum. So we're talking about going and spending time with the rocks on these ancient pilgrimages or in Siberia or, you know, spending time with a guru or whatever it may be, or even just, you know, um, finding spaces in our lives that that feels most alive, whatever, even if it's just looking at a fire and, and, and having that yes. in, in a kind of experience of, of what's going on seemingly from the outer realms. And then on, on the other side of that, it seems, it seems like this is happening all the time, whether we're conscious of it or not in, in many different ways. And it's almost like a, it's like a development of some kind of a, um, I don't know. I, I, it's hard to even just put words around it. It's like trying to put the words around the experience of the moon. And that's why maybe the finger was pointed in that direction. So it, yes. it's, it's hard to do that, but there's something around the other side of it that keeps coming up. And it's, and it's almost what I, I, I'm trying to just kind of feel into what, what it's speaking to or what's speaking through me in this moment. And it's something around um, not having to physically go and move out of a certain space but it's it's kind of what you were sharing earlier around allowing that the other kind of space the other side of the spectrum to be more alive and sit in that within that external space but then also a moving in and out of that external space so it's not too overwhelming 
like that still seems like it there's like a vibration that needs to take place you can't just be sitting underneath that grill and burning you know what i mean there needs to be some kind of a dance going on there is a movement happening and it seems yeah. like there's just this and talking about this whole idea of what, how we began with the monastery and and there there is this idea of i think we're kind of dancing around the same kind of space right now but it, it's it's a deepening process i can feel and and there yeah. is something about back and forth um, especially I've looked at it. If, if you think of in terms of nature, which is such a strange word, nature, you know, we need to go into nature, but um, just, just this idea of like, if you, if you live in a kind of urban environment, time in nature, time in nature, going kind of back and forth um, regularly, it, it does something, you know, if you were to spend too much time in a city environment, that would do something else, whether you know it or not. And if you were to spend three months in the forests of the Amazon or the, yeah, the Amazon rainforest, that would do something completely different. And, um, but then there would still be a calling of kind of an integration of, of, of your life and, and making kind of, yeah, like you can, you can walk around the streets of the city and you can relate to the trees that are, that are kind of growing in the botanical gardens or, you know, next to the street posts, but it's not the same as going to the jungle and being in the jungle might not be, you know, might not work all of the time because you do have a child or um, a wife or a family or a certain kind of career that you, that you really, you know, feels right for you to be in at that time or whatever it might be. You do have a certain setup in your unique life. So there is this kind of back and forth that's coming up for me. And maybe that's just something to do with my unique life because it would be different from everyone. For everyone, if I grew up in the Amazon, it would be totally different. I wouldn't have that kind of a feeling. Or if I grew up somewhere that was maybe on the outer skirts of a, of a city, it, it, it might be different as well, but it's not. I feel like I'm kind of in the depth of things. And I think a lot of us might be in that space. So yeah, just in, in terms of that context, there seems to be this vibration that's being called forth or this moving back and forth between in order to twirl and, and move, move kind of find that tension point, I guess. Yes. So to um, the part that I can grab a hold of there to respond to is, is in, de in defense of the literal space or the external space, in defense of the earth, the material space, in defense of the land, where the song lines are in this in this glorious continent, then um, why would one not what what uh, what's bad about only going to one space? You know, it's just like only inhabiting the Amazon, right? That's a bad example because then it feels like it's demonizing the people who live in the Amazon. I'm talking about this from a modern perspective, and I'm using it in a mythic sense. The, the the reason why the land is so sacred, the reason why the song lines exist, and the reason why all of these different domains must be preserved here is that it's in the land. And if you want to meet Poseidon, then you have to get on a boat and sail until you're two days past being able to see the land. Mm. And then if you stand on that boat and you open yourself to being. At that point, you can that only then and there will you experience Poseidon. And if you want to experience Allah, then going to the Amazon, into the jungle, where there's a thousand different eyes and think ears, and there's jungle all around, you know, the, the, the glorious single 
all all connecting God that is one is found in a desert where there's just one big blue sky, the eternal blue sky. There's this there's a, there's a oneness to it, and inside that you know that particular space is where our being reverberates, and we have a mono an experience of the monotheism of truth. Whereas inside the jungle, then there's a polytheism of truth. God is in the jaguar and a different God, uh, but you know, the same God, but all the different gods in the snake and in the ground and then the marsh and all the things. So landscape place is important because it embodies the pantheon, right? The pantheon within us. It embodies a range of different kinds of beings. The Uluru is a, I'm gonna try and use modern language. Uluru is a, is a machine for generating a particular kind of vibration in human beings, let's say. If you go to Uluru, then there's a particular kind of that you experience. And if you go uh, up Mount Everest, there's a different kind of thing. You meet a different God, you resound in a different way, right? If you're at the bottom of the ocean, if you're on a boat, if you're in the desert, right? If you're in the cityscape, if you're in the monastery, if you're in a Tibetan monastery, you know, if you're in a Franciscan monastery, each one of those things hums in a different way and we resound in a different way. Soul experiences another facet of its eternally faceted gem that it is. It, it, it is possessed by a different God. And so environment is important. It is contagious. And the diversity of environment is important because it gives us as well, the diversity of the, the, the many faceted gem that we are. But that's why there were so many gods in the old system is because we have so many facets and, so, and it, those gods have so many faces because so do we and so does soul. You know, it's, it's in there. And, and yes, there are times when we can go to particular places like the top of the Himalayas or the middle of the desert in, the, you know, in Israel and that we don't perceive lots and lots of facets. In that moment, we could just experience this sense of just oneness. This is a very particular experience. And that's an experience that can be had, right? And that, but it's not to be, uh, but I, it shouldn't denigrate, I think, all of the other experiences and all of the other gods. Dionysus was honored in the past. You know, Shiva is honored and so is Krishna. You know, they're very different, very different, right? You know, they're all, there's, there's, there's so many faces to the divine in, in, you know, coyote medicine and, you know, the white twins and in the buffalo. There's this, this kangaroo dreaming and platypus dreaming. Why are there so many? Because each one of those is a finger towards a facet of the moon. Each one of those is a finger towards a, a, a particular experience that we may have, right? We resound differently. And who wants to choose? Who, why not resound with all the complexities? You know, like Rumi was spinning in that moment to a very particular celestial thing that happened. Whereas if he had of just instantly been transported to Uluru, he might, he probably wouldn't have spun like that. He may have just oh, dropped to his knees and kissed the earth and uttered a particular, a, a, a kind of a song, right? And then instead of the whirling dervishes, we'd have the kneeling ululations. La, 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 la. You know, the, 
he, it would have evoked something different in him because there is a different God or a different facet of soul in Uluru than there is in the, the, church, the, the mosque bells. I really got that one wrong, didn't I? The church bells that Rumi was dancing to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I think what you're saying, there's something that's coming up for me around this allowing for whatever the emergence of that, whatever God may be there in that present moment to come up and be there without trying to, I guess, manufacture what you think that God should look like or be like. Yes. And And that experience, that facet of soul, yourself. Yeah. What should should it be? Should it always just be monastic and yogic and the mountaintop, you know, because that's what that tradition that I'm in, in touch with is, is that the highest experience must be like this. That's the posture of the highest experience. No, Yoga has lots of postures, lots of asanas for a reason, because in each one of those asanas, which it's not gymnastics, obviously, yoga is not about that. And it's not also just to get you flexible so that then you can sit and do that, the one thing. I disagree. I disagree on that. It's that in each one of those postures, one experiences oneself in a different way. And yoga is an outgrowth of the, the ancient shamanic techniques of of which uh, Tai Chi is another, and it says, let's, ex- stop, let's, let's adopt an external posture, like the sign of bear. See how you feel when you do bear. Now, let's adopt an external posture of mantis. What happens when you do mantis or when you do bear, right? Put your body in those positions. What happens when you do tortoise? We do tortoise. We adopt, and we must move like tortoise. So in your, in in Tai Chi, there could, or in a, a martial art, there could be like uh, you know a particular kind of tiger styles, right, that are based upon the movement of the tiger, and there could be other styles that are based upon a sort of the movement of the monkey, right, like a capoeira kind of thing. And we must move ourselves, become adept at a range of those positions inside the triangle pose, inside the 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 down the dog pose inside the cobra pose right we imitate the external posture of a animal god an animal that is embodying an archetypal force because for our hunter-gatherer and shamanic ancestors they were primary archetypes for the energies of the world bear and and cobra you know and dog (laughs) and you know all of those things we 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 imitate that in an external form right? Okay, so do that. And we get in there, then feel who you are. And that will navigate you towards the internal experience of that. So adopt now for me the position of the defeated man. Put your shoulders forward, you know, and cast your gaze down or look up a little bit. And now put your shoulders back, deepen the diaphragm, chest out, chin in and head straight see the difference that that yoga does in the experience that you have of your soul are you the defeated man or are you the triumphant warrior the answer is both <laughs> yeah this just is... check it out check yeah. it out you check are it check and them all out more. and and like totally. maybe maybe play around with that as well like there's this this is like what's coming up for me is this um uh, intentional representational spell casting you know and that can happen not only by embodying these poses of the body but also through our words and our and through our different types of postures within life 
which I think is yeah. a really interesting thing. And I'm, I'm curious. That's I, the magical and occult tradition. That's what you're speaking about. And they do all the same things. And it's an emer- it comes out of shamanism in the same way. And it's, you know, it, yes, it uses word. It also uses posture and external literal things like a cup or a wand or a sword. But they're not really, they're, you know, like, they need to be good. But, but we don't need props. to go to those traditions to do that. Like we can do that anyways. No. This is like Absolutely, probably what you're doing with your with thing. your herbs when you when you mix together a concoction. I'm guessing, and like I've Absolutely. got no idea, but you kind of yeah. What happens in that process? I'm kind of curious in how that how that all that all those realms of representational kind of magic come into what you do. This is kind of a curiosity because well, you've got this massive. Here. I feel like I'm in Harry Potter with you know the wand shop, and you've got all these boxes behind you. It's like which one do I pick? Yeah, you know I what am. I mean? So, I mean, that's all really beautiful and magical looking and we can have our romantic idealization pictures on top. On top. That's how it's meant to look because the soulful, magical, apothecary, alchemical, witch's den. That represents something. So, that, that yeah, was- that's right. Yeah. It's good. But I'm going to show you my cauldron now, my magical shamanic mm, cauldron. Okay. Of witch's brew of stuff. <laughs> Here it is. And it's made in China. <laughs> and it's... It's it's a blender, like it's a fancy That's grinder, cool. right? Yeah. And it goes, and I have to, and I'll, I'll show you my special also ritual. Uh, I've got these uh, rituals, special stuff that I have to wear when I put it on, you know, like the shaman puts on his mask and everything like yeah. that. And the, the mask is what unveils and takes you into that state of being, right? Put on the mask of the shaman or put on the mask of the demon. And so I've got this extra shamanic technique of this special mask here. I'm going to show you. And I put this <laughs> schematic mask on like that. And then I use my cauldron. And this is the modern world. But this cauldron, I've marked it with this Tibetan um, prayer. Ah, so you put that on. on. Yeah, nice. I put that on. I'll take my headphones off now. And so that I know that when I pick up that cauldron, which I bought on eBay through from China, you know, and I <laughs> might attend... Bunnings bloody plastic made in China things as well. That sticker and the intention and knowing that that's a bloody, that is a cauldron, but the literal cauldron was always just a pot, a pot that was sanctified. Yeah. A pot that was sanctified, right? For a purpose. I put the, I put the label on there and I tell, and then I remember that as it's going around, because it's on there, it's like those kitschy little plastic things with that to have a, a mantra and it turns the prayer wheel automatically and they say that uh and you can get them and so the prayer wheel will just turn itself automatically in on in the 7-eleven at the front of the shop where the little nepalese guy is working or something like that mm. and as it's turning around it's like automatically doing the thing that the other the old guys used to do and it's generating the prayers on and it's doing it there right and they buy it and they stick it on well when my grinder was going around because i consecrated it and dedicated it towards this space after buying it on eBay from China, and it's got that little sticker on, then it's as though it was also performing that magic. Every turn of those blades is an on money padmehum. Mm. Every turn of those blades. And so here, in this very unromanticized plastic modernity, industrial plug-in electricity, you know, I, I've got all the beautiful things as well, but I just wanted to pop the bubble and give you the 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 behind the scenes of like how does one yeah. perform the magic or the alchemy of taking taking w- the wasteland 
because that's the wasteland right here. But now it's not. It's a, a part of my ritual. Facing north, taking my menstrual blood, putting it across my nose. No, for me, it's this. <laughs> and that is a part of the ritual as I approach my cauldron. Chinese eBay noisy. That's very interesting. Cauldron. So you're actually representing the idea of the representation. That's, that's pretty fascinating. Because you're, you're, it was always thus. It's all, it always was. It was never the literal. It was never, never the pot. It was never the wand. It was never the signpost. It was never literally what Rumi said. It was never literally the story in the Bible. All of those things were always incantations, representations. Mm. They were consecrated, right? And as soon as you just get stuck in the, you know, if there would be someone listening and say, Cool. Uh, what brand? What brand is, is that? Is yeah. What brand does Jimmy wear? There it is, people. There's the brand. You can go and buy it, and you too can be spiritual, and you can put this on, you know, devoid of all the rest of the things, and you can sit at home with your spiritual shaman thing, and you can go and do healings with these things on your ears. Is this that's up, what happens? Linking up with healing and the medicine of life. I've heard you kind of use that phrase, and all these different like like what what are the medicines needed to begin to stitch up this kind of the fragmented minds of our, you know, our, our existence. Yes. So, so well, is yes. that part of the medicine that itself, that idea itself? It is the medicine. Yeah. It is the medicine. That's right. It's that, is that um, uh, the, 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 the primary dis-ease that we suffer from, the lack of ease that we suffer from in the modern world is, um, is not, you know, metabolic syndrome with obesity and cardiac illness and you know diabetes and those sorts of things the primary disease that causes our unhealthy lifestyle practices and all of those things is this sense of fragmentation the soul fragmentation which is what the shamans would say it's like this is the basic illness and the driver of illness is a fragmented soul and so we live inside the narrative that i'm sharing with you here we're, the reason why we are ill at ease is because we are living inside a discordant song. We're living inside a story, an unhealthy story. Uh, and by unhealthy story, I mean uh, a, like an unhealthy pair of shoes. What's an unhealthy pair of shoes? Which is the size of shoes that is an unhealthy size of shoes? This is like a size of shoes that's not appropriate to our needs and that doesn't fit us. And so the story that we're living in right now, including, I believe, the new age story, mm -hmm. is an unhealthy pair of shoes that doesn't quite fit. And it certainly chaffed me and gave me blisters. And, you know, I wore that pair of shoes and it took me around the world. So bless, bless the new age, even though I, I bitch about it. Uh, you know, like it was a necessary part of my trip through the wasteland, the wasteland of the new age, in the same way that the the... The, the knights of the round table must quest through the darkness of the forest. It's not that they should find it. It should have been better if they had found the grail instantly. You don't find the grail instantly. You require a wasteland or a dark forest in order to find the grail. You have to, and how do you get into the dark forest? So let's shift, shift from wasteland to dark forest. How do you get into the dark forest? Well, every knight must enter the dark forest at the place that is seems most tangled and most rich in briars and darkest and scariest to them. That is how you get into the dark forest when you're really inside there because the grail, the moon, 
the samadhi that she knows god there's so many images for this but here the, the grail that that holds the moon can only be beheld in when one leaves the ordinary world behind and let's leave the ordinary world behind and that is also the leaving of the of those goggles behind right so we go into the darkness right so coming back to your question of like what the prime the primary disease and and, and how do we go about it like what, what what's how is this relevant to all of this the primary disease is living inside an unhealthy story. We must descend into the wasteland deeply, further into the belly of the beast. We must fall down the well. We must be swallowed by the whale. We must be torn like Osiris, limb from limb from limb and scattered across the Nile. We must go into a forest until we're surrounded by, the, by thorns. We don't know which way is up or down and we're in the blacker than the blackest black. That is where you perceive the moon. That's what a whole bunch of our stories are telling us, that our descent into chordom, our descent into in tragedy and pain, our descent into the belly of the beast is a necessary part of the journey because only when it gets to that dark night of the soul can you actually behold the moon that is where the grail will be found and so that's a soulful narrative that says doesn't say one must get past all of these things push them to one side that all this stuff is chaff it's it's a trap you know it's it's, it's you leave it to one side this is a narrative that says no it's all soul it's all sacred and so is your heartache and so is your pain and so is the father that abandoned you or the mother that abused you they are what lead you and so is your so are your hemorrhoids, and so is your diabetes, so is your obesity, so is your histamine intolerance. Those things are the dark, brambly areas of the forest, and that's why my work in health, I've gotten uh, comfortable with the, the 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 practical details of dealing with heart attacks and hemorrhoids, and you know, the, I mean that sort of stuff, right? The physical stuff. I've, I've got the tools. But in order for it to be effective, I need to be able to lead, to get rid of the, the primary disease. I need to be able to help people to, rather than just say, oh, make it go away. I've come to you to make my anxiety go away. Give me a magic pill so my anxiety goes away. And no, 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 no. Give me a magic pill so my trauma goes away and my hurt and my heartache and my melancholy goes away. No, 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 no. That's where we go in. And so Rumi, the wound is what, what lets the light in, is one of Rumi's sayings around that, right? And so we go in, that's the way the brambles are thickest and darkest. And we go in through there, it's a, it's a sacred wound. It's a holy dark forest. And yes, it feels like a wasteland at times when we traverse it. We must be lost at sea. We must be like the ancient mariner. We must, uh, we must be worn down. We must leave the old world behind. The hero must go on that journey. And that journey involves a descent a catabasis, a destruction, a, a movement into the underworld, right? Into the underworld, into the dark, into the shadows, a leaving behind of the known, a leaving behind of the known. And so dis-ease is not something to be vanquished, but it is something to be embraced in the same way that tragedy is not something to be shunned, but to see that it is, we live in a world that is a, tra a tra tragic comedy, like there's, there's a laughing Buddha and there's a weeping Buddha. 
You know, that's why they're the masks of drama. And that tragedy is like the, the, the boatman that guides us down the river sticks. Tragedy is, tragedy is important. Tragedy is sacred. Which parent would not, would want to keep their child in a bubble so that they never lost, they never failed, they never got their heart broken, they never missed out on a job opportunity. They just had all the money they need and every opportunity from day one. Ah, don't do that to your children. Really, what a terrible wish for your children that they would never be hurt, that they would never lose, that they would never fail, that they would never be disappointed. They would never graze their knee. What a terrible, terrible wish for a parent to have to a child. That's not, that's the wrong wish. We don't wish for them to avoid those things in the world. We wish for them to be strong and resilient and brave, that they may be forged by them, you know, forged in the fire into steel, forged on the wheel, like into a vase, forged by those experiences. We don't want our children shattered, but we also don't want to keep them away from all of that sort of stuff. So the disease, your hemorrhoids, your infertility, the next person's uh, reflux, those things are gateways and an embodied gateway into how did you live this into being? What is the feeling behind it? How can this lead you out of the village where you were, out of the waste, the section of the wasteland that you were, the unproductive part of just like, uh, like this and lead you into the forest where suddenly it's not a rat wheel anymore. It's just, you don't know which way's up and which way's down. Finally, when you don't know what, which way is up and which way is down, and we've left the disease, the unhealthy story of our cracked lens behind, in that moment, your cup is empty. That's when the old stories that I have read tell us, the old stories that speak on behalf of soul, tell us that, that's where the grail is to be found. That's where, the, that's where those fingers are pointing. And they say, it's there. It's in the world. It's in your life. It's in the joys. It's in the loves. But it's also in the pains and tragedies. It's in there. And it's definitely in your heart disease and your dandruff as well. I'm telling you that. <laughs> it's in all of those things. And so we use them to go through, not to go past, not to vanquish, to go into that dark forest. Ah, to experience strongly the disease, for it to come up. It's like poultice-ing a boil. We don't just want to make it go away. We're going to draw it out. I let the disease extra, ah, but I'm not lovable. Ah, but if people see me, they're going to see what a fucking fraud I am. And, ah, and I don't really know what I'm doing. No, you don't. That's true. <laughs> you don't know what you're doing. And let me let, feel that unlovableness. Feel the, un like, poultice the boil. Let's not try and like run away from that. Go through that. Hold it and brace it. Sweat it out like a Sundance. Put those hooks through your heart and chant whilst it's, you know, whilst it comes through. And so feel that disease, feel that pain and that tragedy. That in my work, I believe, is uh, when that's paired with a practical support of the body through the medicines and techniques that are necessary, that's what can make medicine transformative and so when we're talking about soul then what i'm doing in other ways as someone that walks the medicine path i could just everything i've just said could be talking about health because health is a state of wholeness and for me health is not the absence of disease but the raging presence of soul health is not the absence of disease but the raging presence of soul 
And so what we're looking for, a healthy world, a healthy culture, a healthy relationship, a healthy, uh, to be healthy is not just to not have hemorrhoids or dandruff. That's not it, right? It's to experience soul, to experience that connectivity where we are a part of something vaster that is mysterious, but of which we are spinning and resounding within medicine. Wow. <laughs> Left me a little speechless there, Jimmy. That's quite beautiful. Ah. Having right. That. I'm really, I'm, I'm really glad. Yeah. 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 Having that connection with what you do in the world is quite a beautiful thing that, that deep kind of meaning behind it and yes. And sharing that with people, having that kind of, you know, sharing that new framing with people that come to you for quick fixes or come to you for, and it, it's, it's totally, it's a totally normal thing. Like, of course, like, how do I, it like, I've got this pain here. How do I fix this? What do you have for me? Like, you've got all these yes. boxes. Give me, like, put something together. Make me a yes. recipe, please. Totally. Yes. Yeah. And if I didn't have the boxes, then, you know, they wouldn't come. And that makes sense. And, I, yeah. and, I, and I've got the tricks. And there are people that I can fix their back sometimes without them doing anything, without them changing in any way. And they're just like, oh, I slipped and did this thing. Lie down and I will fix you. And I'd put my elbow in their ass and hallelujah, they get off. And <laughs> um, as in their piriformis is what I meant. Um, and then, but most of the time, but most of the time, lasting, medicine though. doesn't work like that. Yeah. Most of the time, medicine's not like that. Most of the time we eat and breathe, breathe and live and sleep and choose our dis-ease into being, yeah. you know, diabetes just didn't fall from the sky and neither did the dandruff or the peptic ulcers or the addiction to the, you know, all the stuff. We did all that. And that doesn't mean, it means we can't, you can't medicate your way out of a, a place, a space that you have lived and breathed and wept and chosen and eaten your way into. You must live and breathe and weep and chose and eat your way out of it. But I can give you the medicines that will give you the strength, like the magic beans in your, in your pocket that will make it easier, that will, will ferry you there down oh, the river. It's just connecting that will give you the sense of me. Yeah. the strength, you know, that's what I do is support people on their journey. And yes, the things I do have to help. They have to make a difference. They have to work. They have to be convincing. I have, you know, all that stuff. Yes, it, it does. But that only goes so far if I can't get them to go on the journey. And the reason why I am generally booked out is because I refuse to do what people ask. And I insist upon their health in the last, with a capital H, which is the raging presence of soul. And so whatever they come with, I want to help them with that thing. Cause if not, I fight, you know, I, I haven't helped, you know, but to help them with that thing, I want to return to them with something so much more precious to give them the moon, you know, to, 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 for help, to set them, make sure that they're on the path of, mm. of, of that, that, that I am as well. Not that I'm in the mountaintop beholding the moon at all moments. And all, that's not the myth that I'm sharing or present, projecting about myself. Um, but that they that they they can come towards this state that they're really craving because their dis-ease, their fundamental lack of ease, your fundamental lack of ease, and my fundamental lack lack of ease is not physiological. It's something much deeper than that, and it's not just mental or emotional either. It's something deeper than mental and emotional, and that's why we need words like soul and spirit to be able to see what what encompasses the physical, the mental, and the emotional. You know, what is the system of systems? What's the highest thing that we can? And so we need these other languages to say, your 
your disease, your dis-ease, and our culture's dis-ease exists at such a deep place, at such a profoundly deep place, is that we look at the world and it is an image of the destruction of soul, the soulscape of, uh, of the, the wasteland that we experience inside ourselves that we have experienced for hundreds of years. That's another representation uh, going on. Yeah. It's a representation of that. We grieve and we're outraged, but some of our grief and outrage is not just for the earth, but it is for the destruction of the numbness within. But we can't, that won't be solved with solar power, right? We can't solve the ecological crisis ecologically. We can't solve the ecological crisis just economically because we can't solve the economic crisis uh, without solving the cultural crisis, without solving you know, the political crisis. And so underneath all those crises, What's the crisis of crisis when our education system, our healthcare system, our ecological system, our military systems, our political systems and our community structures, they're all in crisis. So then we say, oh, yes, of course, this is the way that we've spoken about this for thousands of years. You know, this is this is what happens when the, when we've upset a god or the gods. There's a crisis that is that's below it all, a deep crisis. It's very hard to speak of. So we say the god, you know, or a god. I don't believe in any of those gods in a literal sense. It's the language that I'm using, right? We say soul. The, the, the deepest crisis that we are facing as a species is a crisis of soul. It's a crisis, the crisis of crises. It's something that, that it's the meaning-making crisis. That's what it's called by some people who don't want to use the S word, <laughs> the meaning-making crisis. The crisis that sits below all of those. And at an individual level, the crisis that sits below your heartache, your anxiety, your hemorrhoids and your infertility, that crisis is also a crisis of soul. And the crisis that sits below your personal crisis of soul is also informed by our cultural crisis of soul. So we cannot heal our soul and our soul ache in isolation from the wounded world in which we inhabit. That's why the hero's journey must descend into the underworld and bring back spiritual gifts to the community, to the village, to the world, is that our, our, how can we expect to be spiritually or, or medically healthy in an unhealthy culture and an unhealthy ecosystem? We can't. We can only expect that because we're like, well, there's the world and then there's me. There's culture with all those bad people over there with the CEOs and the businesses. And then there's me who's good and spiritual. And if I, me and my friends were in charge of the world, it would be much more functional. Because we've got that. That's the reason why we expect that I can be a liver cell in a toxic liver, you know, in uh, a body that exists inside a concentration camp. But I should be healthy. I should be. Me, I'm going to do all the right things and fix myself. I want to be a healthy liver cell. How, what an unhealthy idea that that is possible or desirable or that that's what one should be striving for. One should always be striving for the health of the all, the health of the community, the health, you know, that, that one's doing that. So that's what one's doing at the sweat dance. You're bringing your prayers and you're sweating in, your, at the, at the, in a sauna in the, the sweat lodge, you know. You're doing it for your sick mother. You're doing it for the community. You're doing it for the earth. You're suffering for the earth. You're offering for the earth, right? And you're offering for, to change the language, for Krishna. You're there, your ostentations, you're, you're doing it for Krishna. You're cooking for Krishna. I'm not cooking for myself, I'm cooking for Krishna. I'm cooking for Christ. You know, there's, I'm not religious in any of those traditions, but those, they, 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 they're doing something similar. They're saying, soul, the moon, uh, all my relations, 
sick grandmothers in the and the village, Allah, Krishna, baby Krishna or Ganesha, I'm offering up this my own sickness, my own joys, my own wealth, my own spiritual yearnings towards the larger thing of which I am a part of. And what do I get in return for offering my sickness and my success towards the larger thing that I am a part of? Then I get to experience myself as being a part of something larger and mysterious. And only when I experience myself as being a part of something larger and mysterious, can I, said, can I say to myself with my hand on my heart that I am in a state of health. Yeah, wow. So much that you just shared there. And, and I really appreciate, I really appreciate all of this and it makes total sense. Um, so thank you. It makes sense for us to be here in so many magical ways, even the way I initially came across your sharings with um, you were making this batch of mugwort and I thought I'd make my first mug okay. tea just to kind of awesome. Um, Great. So it's been, it's been that was really a while cool. ago. I haven't made a batch of mugwort for a little while, so it must have been a while ago. It was a little bit ago, yeah, and it really kind of, yeah, okay. caught my attention um, and opened opened this beautiful window. Um, but I was just kind of wondering, I'm in this space at the moment, and I know you've been through studyings of sports, sports injury and shiatsu and, you know, the rolfing thing and all these other elements of Chinese medicine incorporating what you do. I'm at this space where I'm, I'm I feel really like there's a rhythm going on that everything feels really like the rhythm is right. It feels really right. I don't know a better way of putting it, but there is something calling me to deepen my education, but there's also yes. this, this question. And I thought you'd be the perfect person to ask There's this question of like, I can be of service now, right now. I'm trying to figure out how to be best. I'm kind of just lying there and like, take me and use me as you will, but I don't really know where, where that, where that's pointing aside from where I'm already trotting, but it's just something feels like there's a deepening that needs to take place. And you mentioned poetry earlier. I wanted to go into that space and there's all these other little glimmers of excitement that are kind of catching my attention. I can see that could be quite useful to add into the collective kind of emergence. But for me, there's a sense of not really knowing um, what that looks like and being okay with the not knowing, but there's also this deepening, this, this question of education and I wanted to know, because there, there is, I guess that's partly something I'm worried about, like the bandwidth yes. being reduced of the rhythm that's currently yes. flowing and to be, yes. you know, put into this other place that will ultimately increase the potency um, or the, or the amplification of that, of that rhythm or vibration. But yes. there's something that it takes away in the temporary moment, yes. just, just yes. because of that and things just started flowing. So it's like, ah, oh. <laughs> you know, like, I wanted to hear what you I, thought. I of, think that yeah. it, it's possible that um, that um, that that can be reframed very very easily. That will give you the space to avoid the pitfalls, which I think your fears are healthy and right. Like I said before, of anyone coming into a particular tradition, they're like, "Ah, oh, I want to study homeopathy." It's like that's great. Homeopathy is amazing, wonderful. Study homeopathy, it, you know, but uh, it's a cult you know, and it's one little facet of medicine and medicine's much larger than homeopathy, you know, like, and so, you know, you can, you can, you can follow that, but try, don't get too caught in it, you know, don't get too stuck in it. And so when there's education, it, it like you hear education and our images of education are our experience of education, which is I am an empty cup 
and they will pour it into the teachers and the all wise knowing ones will pour stuff into me. And you're like, yeah, who's going to pour what into me? It's, it can, what's the difference between education and brainwashing and propaganda? But isn't there an increased power of devotion in a, in a sense, like you devote to one. And I know there, this is the thing. There's an increased power of devotion. that seems to be the place, but there's also be the case. And there's also this kind of beauty in the different flurries of all these different types and, and what they all add in individually. So, yeah. Yes. So the, the, the reframe that I think is that if you lose the word education for a little while and perhaps just say, I want to continue my exploration, Yep. And you hold it with exploration rather than education, or I'm 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 looking for further initiation, initiation and exploration. And you hold that with your sense of curiosity and your sense of awe, then you can uh, if it's framed like that, the same experience, just let's say you're gonna go and study Gestalt for a little while or something. Yeah. And if you say, Oh, I'm gonna get educated in Gestalt, then from the start. You're going to have to go through it for the entire time that they say, if you oh, okay. drop out after six months, it's a failure and you must take it all on and it sets up. And yes, in the guru kind of tradition, then all the, you know, you want to be able to sort of like BDSM, you want to sort of just submit and give and that's, and so that they can work you like clay and all that sort of stuff. But in the modern world, that's really the situation for us. And so I would say to explore Gestalt and with curiosity and to, to seek initiation until in Gestalt until maybe three months, six months, 12 months, 18 months later, like just before you get the piece of paper. The, then the issue you for say, me is the paper ah. itself though. And it's like, don't I, this is maybe an issue. And I know there's a trap in here, but there's like, there's a sense of, I need that paper so that when people ask the questions that people come to you and ask when they want certain things to fix their illnesses, there's a backing of kind of credibility there. But if I, but then there's like, cause I could go off and you know, read a hundred books on Jung and have my own explorations and, you know, do the same thing with Buddhism. I don't need to go to a university and spend all this money and spend all this time yes. and, and all that kind of a thing. And, and yeah, open up to that contagious element. But there, there, there is kind of something to be said about the paper, but then people get the paper and it's like, I don't even need this. I never use this in my life and no one even cares about it. So there's this, there's this confusion, I guess, going on. And you've done all this studying and uh, you've done all this exploration. Let's reframe it from now on. And it's like, it seems yes. to me there's a sense of maybe a Mr. Miyagi dynamic. I've, I've never had a guru. I've never found a teacher. I've, I've visited shamans all over the world. I've been to the, you know, all the, you've read my bio, I mean, Tibetan medical centers and yep. Mongolian national university, all the things and Chinese hospitals and the Indian hospitals. I went, I did all the things. I've had an amazing amount of experiences, unusual level of experiences i was blessed with all of that i've never found someone that i could just or some tradition or some particular thing that quenched my thirst for what i was looking for not not one at all and mostly i, I didn't even get qualified in any of the things that i've explored i'm just completely unqualified in most of what i do i did get some pieces of paper and that was necessary for me in medicine and la 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 but mostly I've just explored all of those things. And mostly I haven't got what I'm what I was looking for. And what I what I give, what I'm sharing with you today is the result of um, of a quest that is a personal quest that has curiosity and soul and adventure and exploration and initiation and contagion within it. I have caught these things from mountains and rivers from hawks and dingoes, from shamans and cardiac surgeons, a whole bunch of different 
people, I've gone and I've just, I've rubbed up. They haven't been able to give me the moon. They haven't been able to give me the moon, but they have still, they've, they've, they've each had their, their, their piece of wisdom. And I've, I've tried to get their biome into my bio. You know, I've, I've got some of their culture in me and then it's bred and it's bubbling inside. And so now what I share with you is not Jungian or Buddhist or alchemical or Chinese medicine or naturopathic or Ayurvedic or it's not any of those things. What I'm sharing with you is me is the distilled living exploration of those ideas, right? And I think that's what you're looking for because that's the thing that you should be looking for. <laughs> you're looking for the moon. You're looking for that. You're looking for that. And so in exploring that, then it has to be exploring, I would say. Thank you for your participation in this episode of the Daydreamer podcast. I'll leave links on our beautiful guest in the show notes section on the website where you can check out all their wonderful work and offerings. And if you're interested in working one-on-one with me, feel free to head over to todaydreamer.com and get in touch. Also, if you'd like to participate in some group meditation sessions online that I'm offering for free only to listeners of the show, then please send me an email through the contact form on the website. I'll add you to the list and um, I'll give you all the details to that and any other upcoming kind of offerings around helping your development in this space. Thank you so much again. Until next time.